0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley.
1: Scripture reading this morning will be from Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father and Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in, in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ.
0: Every part of the Bible is important. Every part of the Bible is inspired of the Holy Spirit. But I do not know how you could possibly overemphasize the importance of understanding the examples of conversion in the New Testament. I've been preaching the gospel for over 40 years. And this morning I was thinking about vacation Bible school when I was a child it's called vacation bible school or family bible week whatever you call it has been going for a long long time what i really remember about it is that whoever handled this in the church would rent a coke dispenser that's what i remember and I mean, you know when you do you do this and 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 you What I saw that was as, I would see that as an unending source of Coca-Cola. And as a child, I mean, I was, I'm going somewhere with this. The point is that I do not know the first time that that I learned about the, the conversion of the Philippian jailer. But what was happening at that Bible school was not just exciting to me, the seeds were being planted in my mind. I do not remember the first time I learned these basic fundamental principles of the Bible, but I did learn them and the people who taught me are by and large gone now. The day will come and I'll be gone. And I'm passing this on and you're passing this on to this next generation and it's what we must do. When you look at This beautiful train. I want you to think about that Coke machine. And when you look at the train that that they're actually going to ride on, I hope I didn't just spoil something. I want you to think about about that Coke machine. I'm telling you that that what we're doing is to take these basic principles of the conversion examples. We're going to teach them to children in a way that just delights them in a way that they grasp, this is a very elementary level, it's the way that we could do it, we're going to do it, and I, I can't imagine every year I'm just astounded at how many adults are here working through the week, late into the night, that's what's been going on here, and now we're ready, we're ready. To emphasize these things, for the last couple of weeks I've been preaching conversion examples, actually the four that we're going to be discussing in the Family Bible Week. Tonight, uh, Today's the last one. I want to go to Acts chapter 16. It's very important that you have a copy of the Bible that you can see on your phone or a hard copy or whatever you've got. Be sure that you can see the Bible. Let's get to Acts chapter 16. I want to talk about the conversion of Lydia and the jailer, particularly the jailer. Now, I'm in uh, chapter 16. I want to start verse with verse 14. Uh, let's do a 13. Acts 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and we spoke to the women who who met there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, heard us. The Lord opened her heart so that she heeded the things which were spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she constrained us. Now, now, the, the mentions of Lydia in the scripture are contained in this one chapter. What you know is what, what you have seen. This is it. Don't know a lot about her, but what we know is very interesting. She's from Thyatira. Now she is in Philippi. Thyatira has been known as an indigo hub. That is to say that, that dying cloth and dyes were important to their economy. As a matter of fact, archaeologists have discovered inscriptions in ancient Thyatira of, of a, a dyer's guild. I don't know if Lydia was part of that guild. What I know though is that she's a seller of purple and apparently has come to Philippi to sell her wares. It would indicate because it was so very valuable. This was high demand, very expensive die, and it would, it would suggest that, that Lydia was a person of means. She has no husband, so far as we know, and what she's doing is making probably a good living. We also have indication, obviously, that she's a Jewess. She's with these women, she believes in God, and they pray at the riverside on the Sabbath. That's a pretty big deal, because people who are not Jews are carrying on business. Why would people in the Philippi care a snap about the Sabbath day? They don't. So they're carrying on business. Her competitors are carrying on business on this day, but she's not because she's observing the law of Moses. And so here she is with these women. Now, the fact that they're meeting by the riverside indicates that there aren't very many of them. If you have enough, you can build a synagogue, but there's no synagogue in Philippi. They're meeting by the river. Furthermore, Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, come down there to meet with these women. Why would they do that? I mean, why wouldn't they go to the synagogue where they would have more of these Jews gather to listen about Jesus Christ? The answer is there is no synagogue. So you put these pieces together, and what you come up with is that Lydia is a part of a very small band of Jewish Jewish women, and, and they come on the Sabbath day to observe their worship before God. She heard the things spoken by Paul, those truths touched her heart, and she obeyed the gospel. The second character. Drop down with me to verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl stopped not only is she a slave, the Greek word means girl. It, it, it means maiden, it means virgin, it means a young woman. So don't don't picture an older woman. She's a young woman, a girl. A slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Okay, I want you to meet this girl. I want you to understand what's going on here. So in Greek mythology, the the people had these fanciful ideas about gods who would inhabit people. And what you would have is demon possession. But this was not an epilepsy, epilepsy kind of thing where they would have seizures, even though sometimes the demons would toss them about. This was actually a demon that would possess people. It is contained in the, predominantly in the time of Jesus, the possession of demons. We don't have it today. No demon possession today. But what you do have in this period of time is A plain expression of the fact that Jesus Christ is stronger than hell. Jesus Christ doesn't have a rival, a formidable foe in hell that's as strong as he or stronger than he. We'll never have to worry about that. And that is displayed while Jesus is on earth because he casts out these demons and gives that power to others. They call these people, people like this girl, Puthona. Puthona in the mythology, was the dragon Python who protected the oracles of Delphi. And so what they would believe is when a person had this about them that some mythological god has actually inhabited or taken them over. But it was no god. It was a demon. And that's the truth. But because they respected this, believing it's a god... They had this notion that she would have power. She could tell fortunes. She is above us. And so this poor little slave girl has this demon in her and the, the, the opportunists come and they exploit her and they, they have her telling fortunes and people will pay good money to have a, a girl with a god in her to tell their fortune. 17. I want you to pity her. I'm, I'm telling you that she had nothing to do with this. She had nothing to do with the fact that she had this demon. She followed Paul with us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul greatly annoyed. It, it wasn't up to the sensationalism of a demon-possessed girl. To be the ones to declare this apostle and his help before the people of Philippi. It wasn't an appropriate way to handle this. It became a detriment rather than a benefit to have this this woman coming. Because people are not going to be talking about the gospel. They're going to be talking about this girl. And annoyed and, and certainly in pity of her. Verse 18. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Jesus. I mean, uh, Paul here uh, speaks directly. He communicates with the demon. And he, the demon, came out that very hour. And when her master saw that the hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Uh Oh, there's a Did you see the shift of hands there? The sleight of hands? See, because what this this is about is money. What it's about is that Paul, by the power of Jesus Christ, has taken this demon out of this girl, and now they don't have this fortune teller, and they're not going to make the same kind of money, and that was the reason that they're mad. But that's not what what they said. When they brought Paul and Silas before the magistrates, they said, these people teach things they shouldn't, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is a first-century cancel culture. We can't let you think like that. We can't let you talk like that. You do not have the freedom of speech. This is the cancel culture, which you and I are seeing perhaps in somewhat a smaller way than what was going on at that time. But it's the same. It's the same thing. You can't you can't do this. We are Romans. We cannot listen to this. This is a violation of our law. And the multitude rose up together against them. So you got this mob gathering. And the magistrates tore off their clothes, the clothes of Paul and Silas, and commanded them to be beaten with rods. I don't live in a place like that. And I'm glad. And when they laid many stripes on them, what do you think that feels like? They threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them safely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. There are two things I want you to know about demons and about hell. Let's put up the next slide. One, Satan has no sympathy for you. I'm telling you, he has nothing for you. There is no sympathy in hell. There is no empathy in hell. And the fact that Satan and the demons have caused this to this poor young slave girl is of no relevance to them. Some people say that that Satan doesn't really hate us. He hates God. And the way that he can get to God is through hurting God's creatures. And that's what he tries to do. I don't know if that's true or not. But what I know is that there is no sympathy here. Now, there's something else. And that is that the, the demons reverenced Jesus Christ. I know that makes your head spin. And, and, and movies that have been created about demon possession and all of that sometimes will say uh, or portray demons as being blasphemous and they blaspheme and they blaspheme and blaspheme. That's not actually what happened. The demons don't worship God. I mean, not in the way that you and I would consider it. But the demons knew who Jesus was. They knew who Paul was. Walk through some verses with me. Here's Luke chapter 4 and verse 4. I'm sorry, Luke 4.41. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You're the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak, for they knew he was the Christ. He didn't want it coming out of the mouths of demons. But they said it. Luke 8.24, or 28 rather. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? That's a demon topic. I beg you, do not torment me. They were afraid of him. Mark 1, 24, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You know, the demons also believe and tremble. Mark 3, 11, and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, saying, you are the Son of God. The first thing I want you to do is just to pity this girl. She didn't choose this. Is there anything like this today? Anything like demon possession today? I think so. It's it's not it's not a medical condition. It is a sin condition. And the fact of the matter is, it is possible for a person to choose to follow wrong so long that he gives up the ability to choose not to sin. In reference to whatever that thing is, that he he involves him so, himself so long in it. That no longer does he have the ability to choose it. It's not something God does to him. It's something he does to himself. And it seems to me that that would be somewhat close. Only he chooses it. What she did not do is choose this. And she's the subject of our pity. The second thing I want you to know about demons, and I'm just going to put this in as a, a practical thing for you and me, a practical lesson, is from Matthew chapter 12 and verse 43. And it was this about demons. You have this, this sort of a parabolic statement of Jesus. He said, now, you have this evil spirit in this man. And, and he gets rid of the evil spirit, however that is. He got rid of the evil spirit. But he didn't fill his life up with good things then. And so the spirit returns after a while. And when he does, he finds the insides of that man like a vacant house. Nothing in the rooms. Nothing in the rooms. And so he thinks, well, this is a great idea. I'm going to go and get, and he goes and gets seven other demons more wicked than himself. And he fills the man up. The point application for you and me is that when you become a Christian and you choose to put away the wickedness, the sinfulness in your life, you must replace it with good. Philippians 4 and verse 8, whatever things are true and honest and just and of good report, think on these things. That, that's the point, is that you cannot just leave yourself at the same place. You say, well, I don't do these, these sinful things, so that's really good. I don't do these anymore. Fine, that's fine. But be sure that you fill up your life then with what is good. And in this church, we have many, many examples of that very thing happening. All right, here's the, the second major point. Well, th- this is Roman jailer. So we're coming to the jailer. I don't want to say a lot at this juncture. I'm going to, I'm going to get into it more. But uh, I do want to make this observation is that you have conversion examples like in Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 people were baptized at one time. Huge thousands of people baptized at one time. But most of the conversion examples in Acts are not about masses of people. They're about individuals. Why? Why do you suppose that's true? Individuals. Details about their lives. Details about how they, how they learned the gospel. Details about how they made the decision to become Christians and then what happened. Why, why that? The answer is because of you and me. Because he wants us to know that God cares about us individually. Listen to me. Satan doesn't care about you. Satan will, will hurt you and he will smile while he does it. He doesn't care about you. He, He wants your damnation, but Jesus is different, and what Jesus wants is what blesses you. He wants you to be in eternity with him forever. He wants to give us, John chapter 10 and verse 10, an abundant life. And so individuals, like the jailer, I learned about him. And you, you learn oh, before long when you study the scriptures to see yourself in the scriptures. He cares about you. Now let's look at Persecution. As the Bible says, they laid many stripes on them. They threw them into prison. He put his, this, the jailer put their feet in the stocks. I do not know what, I, I wonder if they had a, a way to lay their back against a wall. Can you imagine if you didn't and you spent the night unable to move your feet and you didn't have anything to lean up against and their backs are bleeding because they, they, they put many stripes on them? And you learn something about persecution. It is very important. And I say this sometimes nowadays that it would behoove us. It would be smart, Christians, for us to familiarize ourselves with passages like these because persecution of Christians is not so hard to imagine now. I do not know if it will happen in my time, my lifetime. It might but to th- think about this occurring again is not such a stretch i'm telling you the same jesus that they preach is the jesus that we preach and the same satan that drove these worldly people to persecute christians i'm telling you that that the great grandchildren of one group now are against the great 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 grandchildren of the other group now and don't you love to see what happened I need to prepare myself. And should I ever find myself at an occasion where my family and I are being or facing persecution, real, physical persecution as Christians? Or you are. What I want to say to my family is, don't forget the Philippian jailer. Don't forget Paul and Silas. We're going to imitate them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to imitate them. We were happy being Christians before persecution. We are not going to deny him now. Right, First Peter four sixteen. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Isn't that a powerful statement? Why
1: would you be ashamed?
0: I mean, if you suffer as a Christian, why would you be ashamed? And the answer is, the world has painted this painted shame all over this. I mean, you you think about them being in that. Why do you put people in prison? It's Because society determines that the way you live is so incon- inconsistent. With what we can tolerate, you, you're intolerable. We gotta put you away from, from normal people, from civilized people, from good people because you're bad and we put you into this place to keep you away from society. You think there's some shame attached to that? You think that, you think that it's so bad that you gotta beat these men to teach them a lesson to never talk like this again? We cannot tolerate this. I'm telling you, shame has, is written all over it. You, you talk about the kind of people that are down there with them. Who Some of whom, or many of them, or perhaps all of them, really are guilty of heinous crimes. Really are in that position because of the awful choices that they've made. Not Paul and Silas, but they're down there. You you reckon that it it would be easy to feel ashamed or embarrassed about where you are and where this has taken you and maybe even the decision in your heart, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never gonna talk about Jesus again in public, I'll tell you. Don't you reckon that's the point from hell? Isn't that the memo from hell? Don't you be doing this no more. Don't you be doing this no more. Would you and I be ashamed? Would we? But they weren't surprised by this. First Timothy chapter 3 and 12, you know, Paul would teach all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. They sang. So, verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. that's what I, that's, that's what I want to do if I face this. Am I going to have the courage? I, I haven't ever done it, but I, this is my goal. I want to be like Paul and Silas. The prisoners were listening to them. Now, number next, the purpose of the earthquake. So, verse 26 says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. I've always thought this was just a fascinating miracle. Now, remember the miracles, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, are to confirm the word? And it's and they, they that's what happens here. So the jailer is going to run in and say to them in just a minute, what must I do to be saved? You had this amazing turn of events. But it wasn't just the, the earthquake. It was the nature of the earthquake and the fact that Paul said no prisoners are escaped. It's a very surgical earthquake. It shook the foundations of that stone structure. And I've seen stone structures there. that are like this. And, I mean, how do you suppose... An earthquake could hit so hard as to shake the foundations, it would hit so hard as to knock the doors off the hinges, the doors open up, and the chains come loose. But so far as you can tell from the text, no no physical harm was done. Nobody got hurt. How do you explain that? How come all of them aren't dead? How come that all of them hadn't been crushed by those stones? It's a miracle and it's a it's a surgically designed miracle for a purpose. And so, the earthquake it's not the only earthquake. Matthew chapter 27. When your Lord passed away, when He died on that cross, do you know there was an earthquake? When Jesus died, the earth shook, and the centurion got it. The centurion, the Roman centurion, charged with making sure that Jesus was really dead, upon this occasion said, "Truly, this was the Son of God." There was a purpose behind the miracles. There's a purpose. Next number four. I want you to see hope offered by caring Christians, I, and I'm going to read this part about the jailer. But I want to stop a second and take you back just for a, just for a minute because I think there. I'm going to speculate. I'll just tell you that up front. I'm going to speculate about this, but I just think there's validity to it. So the slave girl is discarded. Now, I want you to emphasize in your mind the. The words that when they saw that the hope of their prophets was gone. Well how do you see that? I mean, this is a spirit. The demon was a spirit. You can't see the spirit. What you could see is what, what was different about the girl. Now, what were what were the characteristics that defined her? I mean, in everybody's mind, everybody that, that saw her knew that she had something weird going on, you got a demon. The, the others often believed that it was a God of some sort, but they knew something was up with this girl and Now that the demon's been removed they they see that the hope of their prophets is gone. Nobody will think she's abnormal now. What was it? reckon it was her voice or the things that she said that a girl wouldn't say couldn't say what was it was it her her bodily movements was it Was it in her posture? What was it? What were the? What's the combination of things that made people know? And what is it now? But my point isn't really that. The the point is that they see that the hope of their prophets is gone. They discard her. And by the way, the book is closed on her now. But where does she go? What does she do now? What does? I mean, a person that survives a demon possession—if they survive it—what? What about their life now? What happens now? My point is that, and I can't prove this, but I can't imagine that the Christians didn't come to try to teach her the gospel. Who do you suppose would be more apt to want to listen to teaching about Jesus Christ than one who had had a demon and was just told, I command that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ come out of you, and that's what happened. Who would be more interested in learning about Jesus Christ than this girl who had just been tossed aside by these, these men who would exploit her, for business per they're making lots of money, but now the money's gone, and they couldn't care a bit about her. They don't care about her at all. Was it Lydia? Reckon Lydia went to her? Come here, come here. Let me hug you. Let's talk about Jesus. You want to talk about Jesus? Come to my house. Let's sit down and talk. We'll eat together and let's talk. That's not hard to imagine. It's hard for me to imagine it didn't happen. Maybe it, maybe it was somebody in the jailer's family. Maybe it was even after Paul and Silas were released. And I don't know. But I want you to know that's how Christians act. That's how Christians behave themselves. And there are occasions that just come upon us when somebody is really apt to listen to the gospel. And surely this was one. But then you have the second thing. Now, about the jailer. So we get to twenty-nine. Or 27, the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we're all here. I got this question, I don't know, a week or two ago. I don't remember now who asked me. It was somebody in this room, so forgive me for forgetting that. But somebody said to me, well, I mean, the Philippian jailer came and said, what must I do to be saved? But he didn't know about Christ. I mean, not much. I I think he knew a little bit. I mean, where could he learn about Jesus? Go go through your mind right now. Where would he might might have learned something about Jesus? I mean, it's just been a few days since Philippi has received somebody who knows the gospel. These men have just come into the city a few days ago. But where could she have learned? Well, she. uh, I mean, the, the jailer, where could he have learned? The jailer might have learned from this. The shoutings of this demon possessed girl, who who claimed that these were the men who were from the Most High God, maybe she or maybe he picked that up then, or maybe it was when they they drug Paul and Silas before the magistrates and they heard he heard uh, testimony about Jesus Christ. Maybe it was that, and also now he's in the prison and he hears these prisoners singing praise to God. I don't know what their songs consisted of then, but I know what ours are about. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of songs that we sing, that we sang this morning, that, that teach about Jesus and salvation that comes from Jesus. They're just ways that he could have known things. But, but here, here's the answer to the question. And, and in my mind, it's, defi- the answer is definitive. It's, it's just simple. Is that, that this man wasn't asking the wrong question when he said, what must I do to be saved? He wasn't talking about being saved from the authorities. He was talking about salvation in God. How do I know that? Well, because of what what Paul said when he was about to take his own life. Now, do you know why it was going to take his life? Here's what J.W. McGarvey said about this. He was about to act upon the Roman code of honor, which required a man to die by his own hand if necessary to escape that of an enemy or an executioner. He was doing what he knew he had to do because his prisoners were escaped. And then Paul says... Don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Well, now, wait. Why, why would the jailer then worry about punishment from his superiors? He didn't cause the earthquake. Nobody would think he caused the earthquake. And all of his prisoners were secure. I don't think they're gonna kill this man. I think the authorities are gonna give him a badge to wear on his shirt. I think they're gonna honor him. He, even in an earthquake, when all the doors are open, he kept his prisoners. What a great guy. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of that. You know what he's afraid of? He's afraid of the Almighty God. And, and he doesn't know, he doesn't know Jesus Christ yet. They're going to teach him, but he knows that what these men have is access to the truth of heaven. That's what he knows. What must I do to be saved is what he was really asking. He was asking the right question. Now, break that down with me. Break the question down. It was the perfect question. What? There's going to be something, something. This is tangible. This is real. It's very much like Second Kings 5 and Naaman's leprosy and Naaman was told to go dip in the river Jordan. There was something. What is that? Or John chapter 9 and the blind man was to go, told to go and dip in the pool of Siloam. There was something. What? Must. It's imperative. Now we've been talking as we've been going through these different sermons from the Conversion examples of how often the word must is used. I think it's very interesting. So Saul of Tarsus was told by Jesus, go into the city and it will be told you what you must do. Or to Cornelius, you go find Peter and get him and he will tell you words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. He will tell you what you must do. And here, here you have the same thing. In the question, what must? It wasn't, what can I do? It's, what must I do? There's a force behind it. What must I? It's not about other people. It's not about what must God do or about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus. He didn't ask that. He wasn't talking about what must my family do? What must the church do? What must other people do? That wasn't the question. The question is very personal. And that's how it is for you and me. What must I do. It wasn't what must I feel, what must I experience, what must happen to me from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't about any of these things. It was what must I do to be saved. Not to. what must I do to be more successful in business. It wasn't about what. what must I do to be more popular, to have more power, whatever. It wasn't about any of that. I'm telling you that this jailer asked exactly the right question. To be saved is to be forgiven of our sins. It's to be saved from hell and for heaven. 29. And he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You're in your household. That is... You've got to change your whole point of view about religion and about heaven and about whatever is inside of you and shift it to Christ. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They didn't know about Jesus. and Now they're taught. And he took them the same hour of the night. In my Bible, I've underlined that. Why would you do that? Can you imagine the danger this put him under to take his prisoners Out in the middle of the night. And let them put him under the water. Great danger. But it was that important. And immediately. He and all his family were baptized. And when he had brought them into his house. He set food before them. And he rejoiced. Believing in God with all of his household. The conversion examples are. Sometimes thousands of people. But more often. What we have. Is individuals. Like a man who who we just know is the jailer. He's the jailer. And one day, you and I are going to see him. I've got some questions I'd like to ask. And I hope to see that slave girl there too. I'd like to talk to her some, wouldn't you? If she's there. It may be that you've been studying the Bible. Maybe that you've been around some Christians and they've been talking to you about Jesus. And maybe you've made up your mind. That's what I want to do with my life. I want to follow King Jesus. I want to be his disciple. And you can do that. And what you must do is exactly what these people of the New Testament examples did. You must obey the gospel by repentance and confession and immersion in water. And it's for the remission of your sins. Would you like to do that today? We'll be happy to assist you. If you need the prayers of the Christians today, now is a great time. And we'll be so happy to do that with you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.